they are going to become more brutal. Cody Cup, Henny Cup again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Karagi, to all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local, national, and native news events all over Turtle Island. And as you know, Haley and Robert, native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You're right, Dega. And this portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis. I have the shirt on, and I've been really practicing, Robert. Nice Mac, shirt, Robert. Mac D. Ho. Mac D. Hey, you know what's really exciting, Robert? We're going to be on all hour, and we're going to really uh, talk about a lot of things here. One of the things, uh, how. Uh, Exciting this month has been in many, many different ways mm. because of Indian Month here in Minnesota, but also what's happened at the Capitol here. Um, and it's great to be a Minnesotan. And uh, just like today, I saw you today at this great Ho Chunk event. And uh, one thing I want to scoop everybody on, Robert, and I know we've talked about this in a, in a good way, is uh, starting in June, like the first week in June, Native Roots Radio is going to be on at 5 p.m. And we're going to catch the end of rush hour. But what's exciting, too, is that we can really do the live events that are happening all over Turtle Island. And I know your group specifically, Robert, has so many things going on at the same time as the 6 o'clock hour was. So it's first, it's going to be fun to be out there live and doing live events. And I know if we're doing... Uh, Nad knack the uh things you'll be there with your headphones on and helping me uh helping me out there too so i'm really excited to just bring that up and Haley and i are excited we'll probably be doing some shows from uh target field to uh prior to the minnesota twins games so we got a lot of fun things happening and uh and it's great to have a partner like you and somebody that's been on, I would say, four years at least you've been on our show, right, Robert? It's been a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it was great seeing you today. Let's start out a little bit today uh, recognizing Ho-Chunk, but also having a, a great little memorial for Marlene. And I know you were really, really close to her, and she's one of those Ho-Chunk warriors here in the Twin Cities and known all over Turtle Island Uh she passed away over a year ago and uh, duly missed. And I'll tell you one thing, Robert, and I know you helped me yeah. with my campaign as legislator. So did Marlene. She was on the, on the smoke signal phone all the time, um, promoting me in a good way. She was whipping up those votes for you. And, and <laughs> the event today, uh, the Marlene we're talking about is Marlene White Rabbit Halgamo. She was uh, a reverend at All Nations Church here in South Minneapolis, right off the American Indian Cultural Corridor. She was the first woman ever ordained in the Lutheran Church, or first Native woman ordained in the Lutheran Church. And she just was this amazing person. And you know, she had this national network. She was very engaged locally. You heard from people today, and, and since she's passed, just how, how much we valued her mentorship her leadership today mike gozi of the american indian community development corporation uh made the point that um that when marlene asked you to do something you just did it and that she was able to amplify her impact that way gozi mike gozi coined the phrase uh, marlene's minions and i'm very honored <laughs> to consider myself amongst her minion she understood how power worked. She understood that she could make things better for Native people by promoting other people into leadership. So I think, Robert, that I know she whipped up some some votes for you in your election, your Ho-Chunk election, and that's just so Marlene, right. Right? making sure others were moving into leadership positions. And then she'll tell you exactly, she told you exactly what she wanted you to do. Mm -hmm. you get into those leadership positions during my time on the minneapolis city council we were incredibly strong allies yeah i miss her 
Yeah, totally. And it's it was emotional at times today, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the elders. And, you know, we're 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 old people here. We're not the elder status that somebody like Mike Gozi or Marlene was. We're old Indians, but when they tell you to do something, you do something. And that's why I ran and retired from teaching was running for a legislator of Ho-Chunk Nation, which uh, District 4, which is everywhere but Wisconsin. Right. And so impressive. And in the church, it's a fairly small and modest church, uh, just a few blocks off Franklin, the American Indian Cultural Corridor. Uh, and it's Marlene made it such a community center. You know, it doesn't doesn't have pews, so it doesn't feel hugely like a church. But I've just we've all spent hours and hours there, uh, different critical community meetings, feasts, honorings, celebrations. And I remember during my time on the city council, Marlene um, was committed to reactivating their fire. They have that beautiful circular fire pit just off the church, and, and so she would do that, and she would have someone tend the fire and she would hold councils there, right? We'd sit in a circle when some, maybe there was a bad uh, negative incident in the community or there was some thorny problem we needed to think through or even meet in celebration. But she really activated that fire and, and sitting in that circle there at the church. And so it was beautiful to see the fire going today. Wow, really good point and good call. Marlene's uh, husband was there, uh, Harvey, who's mm-hmm. always been incredibly supportive of her, but really he has not disappeared from the from the communities. Uh, I had a long talk uh, with him about uh, Minnesota and Ho-Chunk and uh, things that he knows through Marlene and their journeys together about you know how we're connected and how other people are connected in, in a good way. Yeah. I was great to see him there. I haven't seen him for a while. I follow him on Facebook, so I know he's he's active and I know he's out and about in the community. And, and it was nice to see some of the people who maybe didn't make it to some of the, like the funeral, Marlene's funeral and things, stand up and give their their experiences as well. Sandy Whitehawk being one of yeah. those people and who was very close to her. And she spoke so beautifully today. Today is all funny, you know, some funny stuff about Marlene, too. Yeah. Uh, Sandy, uh, I, I met Sandy at Marlene's church because she uh, has those great, uh, especially pre-COVID, uh, monthly adoption meetings. And as you know, Robin, right. I'm an adoptee. And just to get connected into the community, you know, and Marlene's part of it, too, for letting us use the church, you know. There, there you right. go, right? It was so open. I'm I'm wondering how many of us in the community actually has keys to that church. <laughs> she would kind of distribute them so you could just go without without bugging her. And yeah, and Sandy Whitehawk is active and a board member in the National Boarding School Coalition, which is headquartered here. Of course, works nationally, and so she is just dedicated to mm-hmm. that cause and the work that she's doing. She was telling me today it was interesting to hear. You know, she's she's an elder, a little older than us, and she was talking about how at this point in her life, she finally doesn't get uh, triggered at these conferences and meetings about the, with boarding school survivors and about the trauma that our relatives faced in boarding schools. And, and, and she said that it's a more recent thing. It doesn't, she can enter into the conversation and help support others without getting triggered herself. And, wow. and as Native folks know, those conversations are hard to have. Right. right. I was in a conversation today and all of a sudden I'm tearing up just talking right. about something from my own experience, you know, talking to non-Native people and having to explain to them, this stuff is painful. It's painful yeah. for us to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Wow, we uh, just went through a whole segment, Robert, talking about Marlene, and we got a lot more to talk about. Uh, just a, a quick thing about Sandy. Sandy's husband's uh, a stand-in on that great movie. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what we know about the Killers of the Flower Moon. That's coming okay. up here. Got a nine-minute standing ovation at uh, Cannes uh, Film Festival. Right. Right. Sounds like it's going to be as good as we hoped. Fingers crossed. You're right on. Hey, this is Native American, Native American, Native Roots Radio, and we'll be right back with Robert Lilligren. Ho-wa! Stay tuned. (laughs) 
JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. If the statistics say that one in three Native women and one in six Native men have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime, it means our whole community is affected by sexual violence. One is too many. Don't stand by. Stand up. Don't engage in acts of sexual violence and shut down the dirty jokes, the gossip, the victim blaming and shaming. As a community, we can change the way we respond. Contact the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition to attend a workshop to learn more. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, Ogama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. When it comes to mental health, connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Whether you're struggling or know someone who struggles, see connections as comfort, hope, and joy. Like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, seeing your grandma. Together we can find ways to create a path forward. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Native Ritz Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Yeah, longtime sponsors of the show, and what great work they do. I just have to give a quick shout-out to uh, anyone that's on Facebook or a Facebook friend of Robert Pilot. That's me. I have my birthday uh, fundraiser for uh, Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition, so... Uh, we're not m- matching what we did last year. We had about three thousand dollars last year, and I'm getting close to a thousand. But you know, all anything you can give a dollar, five dollars uh, would be just really great to, for this great organization here in the Twin Cities. That's known nationally. I'm here with Robert Lilligren, uh, NACTI uh, CEO, uh, White Earth Ojibwe uh, relative, and just all around groovy dude. Uh, thank yeah, you thanks. so much, Robert, for coming on and. I just wanted to finish up my thought about Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, mm. You know, that's that book that, or it's a movie based on the book from 2017 that uh, right. a series of uh, murders that happened uh, to the Osage Nation in the 1920s after they struck oil. And it's a, it's a true story, and the movie's probably based on a true story kind of things. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it was really interesting just off topic on that movie and they got a nine minute standing ovation in cons and they'll be coming out, I believe in October for a short run in the theaters. And, um, Robbie Robinson's doing the music, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, he's native American. And then I just want to say this real quick thing about Lily Gladstone, who, uh, Mm -hmm. is one of the stars. She played on reservation dogs the auntie that was in jail and one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, reservation dogs were Willie Jack and came and talked to her, her aunt and then all these uh, relatives showed up. She uh, showed her how to pray. And, you know, she was all kind of frumpy in her uh, uh, prison attire and I didn't recognize her right away. That's how good of an actor she is. Right, yeah, impressive. And it's been... It's been really satisfying to watch the media coverage from Khan, where it was premiered the nine minute ovation, as you said, to see native folks on it walking the red carpet. I'm kind of a red carpet fan, so Khan is the best one. 
going and and lots of days right so it's just it's just a different vibe right and i i can't wait to see the movie i've read a little about it i know that the storyline morphed from the novel where it was sort of a a, a mystery right and right it was the original intent of the filmmakers uh to to make it a mystery but it's really grew into something much more about relationship you know much more human right yeah and we like that you know rotten tomatoes right now uh has given it a 96 percent, and uh uh that's that's good enough for me because that's people that have seen it that aren't professional uh uh, inventory takers, so to speak, or uh, critics. And so right. we always kind of lean towards Rotten Tomatoes, and that's probably early because it hasn't gone out uh, too nationally, but the people who have seen it have given it a really good grade. And and how can you not, with uh, to me being a film buff and teaching film and video over the years, uh, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, yeah. and then yeah. Martin's latest minion, so to speak, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, um, right? Yeah, yeah. And the smart case, I mean, he's no, he's no kid, right? He's eighty. This right. project took six or seven years to put together. You know, he has to be very aware of what his, you know, outlooks, how many more uh, films he's going to make in his life, and for him to dedicate that much time, that much attention, and be kind of that flexible around. This story, I think, is amazing. And then, of course, that they put Native people up playing Native roles, go figure. And, you know, that they're really career-making kinds of roles for these folks. I really feel like uh, Standing Rock really opened the door for a lot of authors, a lot of Native things. We had, you know, Rutherford Falls as a TV show, Res Dogs after that. Pray the movie, um, you know, the, the prequel to um, um, I Ain't Got Time to Bleed, what's uh, the Predator, and uh, all these things have been happening in a good way. And I feel like, and I could be mistaken, and I don't know what you how you feel about this, Robert, but a lot of it came from uh, Standing Rock and the and being down in Standing Rock for the, that length of time and getting all the press, like you always talk about and we try to talk about here we're still here right no standing rock was pivotal right it was kind of a new starting line of the contemporary the modern movement and it showed us a lot you know that we could sort of go backward to go forward you know did unprecedented things there and and i just it will always be kind of a a new high water mark for me and being there was a profound experience uh really changed the way that i approach my work and my wow. perspective and and then and this is a generational thing right and i don't know if we talked about this but we've had a an international uh documentary film crew hanging around the last few days and they're putting together this story and they're not quite sure what to write about, but they're looking at the Twin Cities metropolitan area and the history of activism and advocacy and the progress that's that's been made. And that's what I push on. We're in this generational um, uh, uh, change here where there's old old farts like you and me, <laughs> but then there are young people like Haley and others who were raised mm -hmm. with much more solid understandings of who they are as Native people, their languages, their cultures they're on such firmer ground. Right. So when you see things like the progress that's been made since Standing Rock, you know, there's the really deliberate efforts to reclaim the Native narrative through reclaiming Native truth and locally that's branded as we are still here. Mm -hmm. And we're all kind of working from the same strategies. And then when it just shows the power, when we unite our voices and work together, in an indigenous and collaborative way, we can do anything. Yeah, there's exactly. so many examples of that. You know, I think we had kind of a renaissance, at least film-wise, in the '90s. You know, with Dancing with Kevin Costner, and then Smoke Signals, and you know those things. But it, uh, other than Smoke Signals, I really feel like it was uh, not led directly by Native people as it is now. Right. It wasn't us telling our stories. And if you go back 20 years before that, and we're old enough to remember, you know, in the 70s, there was this little vogue more around performers like Cher, you know, lifting right. up 
her negative uh Wayne Newton all of a sudden he became very negative and then you had legitimate uh, uh performers like Buffy St. Marie and things that right were there but there was this little bit of Vogue and then it kind of went around and then you're right then in the 90s there were there were movies but what's happening today and like you said since Standing Rock is a whole different thing and that's a thing I'd like to talk about in the next segment when we get on there is just uh how proud we are of our politicians I mean I talked about uh, State Senator Mary Kunish came to, today and got a heck of ovation because I reminded the audience I was an MC of the great work the trifectives done here in Minnesota. Yeah, unprecedented. So the trifecta that Robert's talking about is our governor's office, our state senate, and our state house are all under one party control. It happens to be our party, the Democratic Party, or Democratic Farmer Labor, as it's known here. And those guys went and they said it. Their intent was to legislate with, for, with efficiency. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this piece going around from the governor's social media, Governor Waltz, uh, around uh, his whiteboard, you know, with his legislative priorities. Listen, it's done, 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 done. Mm-hmm. Every single one. And, and it just feels good to have a government that can get things done and mm-hmm. get things done in a good way. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it was hard for me to comprehend. And I know, Robert, you've been paying attention a lot more than I have to local politics. I did not ever see the the the, the stop gaps or not the stop gaps, but how plugged up their government was two years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things uh, that's important to me and my roles here in the community and uh, I'm part of our regional government, right? I'm a representative on our Metropolitan Council, first native person to serve on the Metropolitan Council. And they, uh, the what came out of the legislative session to support the transit that we operate, housing and recorder cent sales tax for in the metro for housing, the first sufficient dedicated transit funding ever. And wow. uh, this has been a battle every year. We go in every year. We kind of have to fight with all the other legislative priorities to get transit. There are certain administrations that have been very anti-transit. And in this this session, with the help of a few key legislators, like my Senate, like Senator Dibble and Representative mm. Hornstein, they passed a chunk of um, what will now be called baseline uh, transit funding. So baseline means it appear it'll just automatically appear in the budget we don't have to compete for it and that is huge especially for our people who use transit well i was just going to say before we break robert i always i feel like dibble who's been around a long time and has been an advocate of many things that wendy and i have been following over the years you know whether it's uh, animal rights and uh, things like that. And Hornstein, they all need a blanket after this. Uh, they be given oh, a blanket yeah. after this, uh, Good this idea. session. That was always been... Marlene's vision, that we were better at recognizing and honoring people. She, had, she would hold these honoring feasts at her church. So that could be honoring Marlene as well by giving them blankets. Well, let's uh, talk about that off air because I think that's something with those two warriors that have really supported our community for many, many, many years and still do. Hey, I'm here with Robert Lilligren, Native American Community Development Institute CEO, White Earth person. I want to say resident, but that's not right. You know, we'll be right back after the short break. Stay with us. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. 
Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a Metro Transit Pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at dfc.stthomas.edu. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. One of the best things about living in Golden Valley is that it celebrates the LGBTQ community. Did you know that Golden Valley has more LGBTQ households per capita than any city in Minnesota? Did you also know that the Golden Valley Pride Festival was the first suburban pride festival in Minnesota? On Saturday, June 10th, come to Brookview Park in Golden Valley for the Golden Valley Pride Festival from noon to 6 p.m. and celebrate our fifth anniversary. The festival highlights our LGBTQ families, their friends, and allies in the spirit of promoting greater understanding of Golden Valley's rich and growing diversity. The event will feature two stages with live performances all day, food trucks and food vendors, a kids area with games, a beer, wine, and cider tent, as well as more than 70 community, business, and sponsor tents and exhibitors. There will also be kickball and volleyball games. Go to goldenvalleypride.com for more information. That's goldenvalleypride.com. We can't wait to see you at Golden Valley Pride Festival. Tune to Connections Radio on June 3rd at 9 a.m. to learn how to transform power struggles and conflict into meaningful conversation and internal freedom. Yvette Erasmussen is a teacher, writer, and psychologist who integrates core insights from multiple wisdom traditions. She draws from psychology, semantic theories, nonviolent communication, as well as insights from more than 25 years of international teaching, coaching, and therapy. Yvette will be on Connections Radio Saturday, June 3rd at 9 a.m. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org careers. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for clear skies tonight with a low around 52, Friday sunny with a high near 78, and Saturday sunny with a high around 80. Spring has arrived and it's time to take a good look at your lawn. If there's bare spots or brown patches, Natural Lawn can help. For over 30 years, Natural Lawn has taken an environmentally friendly approach to lawn care to feed your soil without unnecessary chemicals. Beat the summer rush and visit naturallawn.com. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. Thank you, Haley. Yes, they do. And hey, I'm here with Robert Lilligren. And uh, wow, I just was listening to one of the ads and uh, Golden Valley Pride sounds like a, a big happenings that I, I did not know about. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know they had the highest uh, per capita households of LGBT people. Or that they had the first suburban pride. So, yeah, you learn something new every day listening to your show. <laughs> well, I like to think of it as our show because, you know, um, I was trying to spit out the words that you were a, a white earth citizen and I couldn't come up with the word citizen. But we like to call ourselves citizens as opposed to members oh, yeah. because we uh, are the citizens of our tribes. Uh yeah, that was really interesting. Why don't we jump into the Clyde Belcourt Urban Indigenous Legacy Initiative that has been uh, one of the things that you've been working on, but other groups working in tandem and harmony together with the Capitol and, and the traction that that's gotten this past session. Yeah, it's been really amazing. And uh, 
And just the evolution of how we got to where we are today is something that just delights me. And so we named it for Clyde Belcour, our revered ancestor. Then it's the Urban Indian Legacy Initiative. And I haven't been in the leadership of this. I want to be really clear. I've been very supportive and involved. But it's young leaders like Melissa Cummings and Joe Hobart and um, Louise Matson who have been really moving it out. But the, it was a strategy to go to the legislature this year to get capital investment from the state into the urban Indian uh, organizations facilities. And we have these aging facilities, many of us are barely safe maybe, and they need some definite capital infusion. And so there were, I think, 15 participating organizations. We put all of our needs in, uh, in a document and then uh, working with lobbyists, we recruited elected senators and representatives to carry these bills. We had hearings that we appeared at and went through the process. It really elevated the profile of Native orgs and some of the needs in our in our communities. And and it was six, you know fairly successful. I think maybe five of the projects uh, that were on our list of the fifteen were funded to some level. You know, that's not 100%, but but it's something, right? And mm -hmm. we're already meeting in a couple of weeks under the leadership of uh, Marissa Cummings of Minnesota Indians Resource Center to uh, to start planning for the next session and how we'll go back and how we'll work together. And, and it's collaborative. It puts us in a posture where we're not competing with each other like the system wants us to do, you know, and to compete for resources and compete for for service personnel. And instead, over the last maybe ah, seven years or so, the organizational leadership in the Twin Cities has been really deliberate about building ways to collaborate, to indigenize the way that we come together and throw off this colonized yoke that incentivizes us to view each other as enemies and competitors, that scarcity mentality, right? And embrace yeah. a mentality of plenty. And it's just a joy to see. It is. And it's funny that you said seven years ago because uh, we were talking earlier about Standing Rock and the seven fires, Ooh. the eight fires that left Standing Rock. Uh, and at the same time, you're talking about this major collaboration and we're talking about uh, a paradigm shift in many ways of how people mm -hmm. picture us, but how we picture ourselves. Right. That's exactly right. And, and it's important for us to picture ourselves in a different way. Right. And, uh, and it's amazing how often in myself or I work with these incredible, incredibly talented young native professionals and, and every so often something will just kind of percolate up that really comes from a perspective of scarcity or, or something a little more colonized. And I think, wow, we should know better. We should know better than this. But man, that can run kind of deep and strong. And so it's a constant uh, awareness that we need to yeah. be building. And then to, to not, not succumb, right? Not to, not to fall into those old patterns, but to keep, keep embracing each other as collaborators, as relatives. And, and it is. It's a paradigm shift. And I think, too, uh, that we can, uh, and I don't mean this to be harsh, but we can call out or call on people when they aren't coming at us in a good way, I think, better than we could prior to. And I, that's just like a feeling, again, with the paradigm shift. We started this show, Native Roots Radio, during Standing Rock, too. So that's that's oh. something, you know, uh, because of all the misinformation that was being sent out of there. And so I, it's kind of a, a starting point for me to really to see the whole community in a whole. I think that's a beautiful perspective, Robert. And uh, the idea of holding each other accountable, right? The, if you want to say a call out or or just <laughs> identifying when things aren't being authentic and things aren't being indigenous. And, and you're right. I think we're stronger now where, where those kinds of um, statements of accountability aren't just going to blow everything up, right? Like maybe a few years ago, if someone got called out, that might be the end, right. of, end of a conversation. You can go into the next conversation. Instead, now we're, we're having serious conversations, deliberations about what kind of uh, native culture are we? And especially in a complicated urban environment where you have 
scores of tribes represented and and not the formal sovereignty of living in a native nation and and so we come together and you know we have these are, are we a shunning culture here you know are we uh, a reconciling and healing culture both are legitimate native approaches what do mm. we want to be how do we want to do it and and again going to this generational thing i see this in a lot of the younger people in the community the younger emerging leadership where they're more comfortable mm -hmm. with this idea of lifting up issues that need to be addressed to hold ourselves accountable and and i like it i love it and i think too robert that uh you know, we talk about these things that have happened to us in boarding school. I really feel like personally for me, um, my family has lost two generations. Mm -hmm. And part of the renaissance with our young ones and wanting to learn and feel strong about uh, uh, doing things in a good way uh, has really, it hasn't affected this generation as much as possibly my parents and my grandparents. I, I think that's right, right? So my parent my dad was raised by someone who was a victim of the boarding school system and who was taught to despise her language and culture and mm. ridicule it and and that's the environment my dad was raised in and then as he aged he became really an important part of the ojibwe language reclamation here movement here in the 70s and 80s 90s he would go to a language many language tables and just started to to reclaim the language but it's a journey you have to uh, you have to bridge that, right? Bridge that deliberate disruption mm. in culture that was very effective. You know, those boarding schools where they beat people's children's language and cultures out of them. Those, they knew what they were doing. Right. And they made people fearful of re-embracing their culture. And so get through us, you know, and get to the next generations and, and they have less of that, less of that fear. Mm -hmm. Their influences are some of our our founding uh, founders, as I call them, people like Clyde Belcour, Laura Waterman, all these folks who are we're losing, who are walking on now. But mm -hmm. so we're having generational strength that's being built. And I was just talking about this today with these documentary filmmakers, and you know, because it's current, you know, the, there's kind of a a trend in circles that I, in conversations I'm in where people don't want to talk about historical trauma mm -hmm. because it's not historical. It is current. It is in our lives every day. And so they feel like the term historical maybe gives us a little bit of buffering or comfort and we <laughs> shouldn't be comfortable with it. And, um, but uh, just talking about how, how I can see from my, our place, we're about the same age, you know, in the generational trajectory, just how, how deep it feels because that trauma is real and it's there every day. But if you look at it historically, it's, it's not really that long, you know, mm. and here in Minnesota, right. it's maybe 150, 200 years in this country, it's maybe 500 years. Yeah. That's a long time, but it's not forever. Right. right. Our people have been here for millennia and we are still here and so I'm starting to get to this place where I think that it might, it, it, it might be possible <laughs> to get beyond that trauma that we're feeling. It's not as deep as it right. feels. Well, it's so funny. We always joked, and I don't mind repeating what we've talked about in the past because I think it's really poignant. And also we have new listeners all the time. But, you know, when in 1978 you talk about school and all these Indians came out of the woodwork in your school when uh, right. that you know they were uh, recognizing Native Americans in your school. I grew up with ho chunks. I always knew I was Winnebago. I you know from yeah. being adopted, and I had no idea until you know 10 years ago that they're ho chunk. That these yeah, kids that interesting. I <laughs> yeah, that, that was my experience, right? I've shared that story before. I graduated from high school in 1978 from a large suburban school here in the Twin Cities, 720 people in my class. And just because it was 1978 and there was more awareness and important pieces of legislation were being passed in D.C. Uh, around education, Native education, Native culture, Native religion, pra religious practices. So suddenly there was an awareness and at my high school, they hosted a lunch for the 
Native graduates, and they must have got our names off of tribal enrollment, you know, tribal <laughs> roles. And so there was 12 of us that they could identify out of this class of 720 people. And these are people, many of them, that I had gone through school with from kindergarten to senior year and never knew they were Native. We, you know, and some of you'd look at them and you'd go, oh, yeah, of course you're Indian, you know. How did I not know that? But uh, we did not, we had disincentive for self-identifying as Native, right. right? It was riskier to identify as Native. And so it wasn't until this event that we, that we finally did that. And, and now it's hard to that, imagine that even happening in a public right. school here in, in Minnesota anyway. Right. People are, young students are proud. They're, they're expressing their culture. And it's, just, it's a very different thing in, in, in our lifetimes. Right? Yeah. In a fairly short amount of time. And that's why I, I brought that up because of what you were saying that, you know, how far we've come and that the, the, the bright uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train. You know, there right. are good things happening and maybe 10, 15 years ago, we didn't feel that way. Hey, I'm here with Robert Lilligren and we're doing a whole show together. Uh, White Earth Re uh, Citizen. We'll be right back after this short break. Please stay with us. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's, Let's live and, and let, let howl. Howl! When it comes to mental health, making connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Connections can bring comfort, hope, and joy. Find ways that work for yourself and others like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, creating space to listen. Visit cmentalhealth.org. That's cmentalhealth.org. cmentalhealth.org. J&S Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org slash careers. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How? Hey, uh, we're here with Robert Lilligren, and uh, it al Robert always cracks me up to hear every time I hear Dallas Goldtooth do that for us. He was a guest, and I asked him to do a to a, a radio tag, and uh, <laughs> I didn't expect him to do that. What he did, I just yeah. thought he'd say, "Hey, this is Dallas Goldtooth, the Reservation Dogs," and but he did it in character. Uh, so I still well, laugh yeah. when I hear it. it it's hilarious. Yeah, and speaking of the Renaissance, there's those guys, you know, um, uh, just uh, Bobby Wilson was on the show uh, a couple times, and we always have to get the, be careful with the, you know, the the dump button, because Bobby likes to swear on live radio, but I've known Bobby <laughs> as a kid at Harding, and, uh, you know, uh, the one he did, he wrote one of the shows. He's a writer on Reservation Dogs, and he was on, uh, and he does some spot uh, acting too for them. And he was on uh, 
he was a writer and on on Rutherford Falls too. But he did the, the whole piece, and I don't know if it was uh, familiar to you. He did. He wrote that whole piece when uh, Cheese was put into a home because for years he worked. Well, first he was in Enda Young, and then he worked for Enda Young, sure. and that's how he met Dallas Goldtooth. Ah, interesting. I did not know that. And so Enda Young is a, is a place in St. Paul that provides housing for homeless Native youth, and which is there's not a lot of that kind of housing going on, and so they're just incredibly important here and so no i didn't know that i did know because he used to hang around here more you know along the cultural corridor and things and and he's just a fascinating person and you know very respectful to me anyway as an elder and stuff and and i learned that he was uh he was actually born in a house in phillips in the phillips area not far from franklin avenue and are you speaking of bobby are you speaking of bobby or dallas bobby Okay, cool. Bobby Wilson. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I should have been clear. But I thought he's a young man, you know. And I thought not that many people his age were probably born at home <laughs> in the middle of the Phillips neighborhood, you know. So I hadn't, you know, uh, uh, what was that show on Comedy Central? Uh, it's still on. Um, what's the new show I'm thinking of uh, uh, on Comedy Central? The yeah, Daily I'm show? sorry, The Daily Show. So yeah. they did this uh, this piece, and I hadn't seen Bobby in years since he was a student, and I knew he was in the comedy troupe, and he'd come back and MC for things. And, I mean, I'd talked to him for just a short time. But it, this was like, I want to say 2015, 16, okay. 14, somewhere around there. And he was on the, the Daily Show was interviewing these people about the Washington football name at the time. Right. And they were going, oh, you know, it's honoring them, and it's all this. And then all of a sudden, what, you know, The Daily Show does, uh, a wall opened up, and all these natives came out, and Bobby was one of them. Right. <laughs> this I, remember, was like, I remember that episode. I was watching it. I go, and that's it, Bobby it, Wilson. Right, right. And those, uh, yeah, Bobby Wilson and Alan, they were all kind of, you know, yeah. stone-faced, and it really changed the discussion. You know, yeah, that was group, right? The 1491s, is that? The, yeah. Yeah, it was something. Yeah, and that, that's got them going on Reservation Dogs. That's the, the same four people. And if people don't know out there, Google it or go to YouTube and watch uh, uh, the 1491ers. And uh, they're hilarious. And there's a lot of inside jokes and uh, uh, some parodies. And uh, that really brought them to this place where they're at now nationally and, and speaking our truth and making fun of ourselves and, and uh, you know, I always say, uh, Robert, it's, it was like, uh, it's kind of watching the Flintstones, you know, the adults would get uh, one version of the Flintstones and the kids would get the other, you know, with the inside jokes and that's reservation dogs for us too. It's like, Oh, this is funny. This is for everybody. I mean, there's some inside jokes. Non-native folks are getting a joke, right? Well, most people I talk to uh, really love that show that are non-native. So that's really really uh good to hear and they're you know going to be coming in august i think the first week of august is that their season three is coming up uh for reservation dogs exciting can you believe it's three years oh i mean no i can't that's amazing and it's just you know it shows that sustainability right people are interested in these stories Mm -hmm. now in a way they weren't before native and non-native people and and it makes Native people contemporary, right? And right. Uh, up until a few years, I remember this uh, uh, research that went into creating uh, Reclaiming Native Truth Strategies, you know, the narrative change strategies. And it was almost the research so that almost half the people in the United States did not know that Native people still existed today. Whoa. That Native people were relegated to history, right? So that's, that's in interesting but the really the kind of asset there was that like 80 percent of american people wanted to know more mm-hmm. about native people and so that's where you know reservation dogs and all this media the you know the movies coming out the red carpets and things people are are really interested right uh tommy jo- uh, tommy orange was on our show when his book first came uh, out there there and he had said it had taken him quite a few years to write that book. 
in that uh, because of Standing Rock, he had a voice and people were really paying attention. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really I, interesting. Go ahead. I I agree. And I that's a book I recommend. You know, I get to address a lot of non-Native groups, you know, speak to them and things. And that's a book that I recommend as a resource. And for me, you know, he's a different generation than mm-hmm. us. And, but he talks about the urban Indian experience in a way that really resonated with me. It felt like, yeah, this is this is like my experience. Wow. And and I like that he uses the term urban Indian mm-hmm. and helps move that into common vocabulary. It's an identity that we're all that many of us are kind of working to define. And mm-hmm. is that decolonizing wealth by Will and Wave? He's another one. He uses the term urban Indian. Wow, I, I like that. And so I will, when I'm talking to non-native groups, I'll describe myself as a third generation Minneapolis urban Indian yeah, and, uh, and then give them permission to use that term wow. urban Indian, you know, people are never quite sure what to, what they can and can't say. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hey, I was, uh, what was it? Two days ago I was, uh, on Franklin Avenue. I didn't make your, uh, I was at a, a big meeting downtown St. Paul, so I feel bad I didn't make your open house. But what I was able to do two days ago is to go in and see that great uh, uh, show you have at All My Relations Gallery, uh, the beautiful beadwork. And uh, I could have just stayed there in hours and look at, looking at this the, the, this stuff. And uh, it, it right. was regalia, you know, uh, I just... Male regalia and uh, yeah. Yeah. creative words. I mean, it has, but it all has right. kind of a contemporary angle. So the show is called Pidwewetam, uh Making is Medicine. And mm. it's the it's a traveling exhibit. It came down from Thunder Bay. And it uh, is the story of a family that suffered a great loss, a tragic, traumatizing loss. And to deal with that loss, they started to create. Wow. And so the show is an outcome of the work that they did. And I will tell you, Robert, we have, we get a lot of positive feedbacks about all of the shows we do uh, in the, uh, in our, all my relations arts gallery that we've never had any response like this. This is by far the most positive response that we've gotten from any show. So if you're in the cities, I urge you to come down to uh, all my relations arts gallery on the American Indian cultural corridor. Away with Tom is uh, up till June 10th, and it is awe inspiring. Wow, great plug! And it is, it really is. Robert, thank you so much for hanging in there with the whole show together. I had a great time. Peeny Me too. I'm losing my yeah. voice a little. Uh oh, uh oh. Hey, <laughs> if you're listening to the show, you are part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops. The ground in which we stand on is sacred ground, it's the blood of our ancestors. We need to resist, divest, join a group, run for office, vote. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Freeliner Peltier, now. Now.